0: The Future Works, a podcast for workforce professionals, hosted by me, Melinda Mack. If you're in workforce development, you know we're not just getting people jobs. We're aiming to solve complex problems in the economy. From lack of education to health and well being, dismantling institutional racism, transportation, caregiving, the list goes on. Over time, workforce stakeholders have understood that one size does not fit all in terms of solving these issues for the human beings that are living it, nor for the employers who are looking to fill their open jobs. Similarly, one organization just can't do it all. Instead, providers are starting to band together to collaboratively solve these challenges at institutional, community, and regional levels. These partnerships are bringing together multiple perspectives, but also leveraging the respective resources of organizations, their assets, knowledge, expertise, and they're all working to tackle the same challenges. They're not competing, they're collaborating. However, these efforts don't happen overnight, and building and managing partnerships can be tedious. It takes time, flexibility, trust, and money. But when it's done well, it is a thing to behold. So for this episode of the FutureWorks podcast, I'm joined by my colleague from the South, John Helton, the executive director of Atlanta Career Rise. Atlanta Career Rise was founded in 2011 through a grant from the National Fund for Workforce Solutions, as well as local investors, and is now managed by the United Way of Greater Atlanta. Their laser focus on economic mobility as a funder collaborative and intermediary. And I left the conversation with John impressed by their ability to maintain and support these collaborations all across the region, but also the depth and breadth of their sector based strategy. I highly encourage, if you're listening, to take a look at their Metro Atlanta industry partnerships. They're incredible. But you don't need to hear it from me, you can hear it from John. And so I hope you enjoy this episode. <music> Well, I'm so glad to be here today with John Helton from Atlanta Career Rise. John, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself?
1: Hey, Melinda. Um, hello from Atlanta. Uh, like you said, I'm John Helton. I am the executive director of an organization called Career Rise, and we are an affiliate of the National Fund for Workforce Solutions and referred to as a funder collaborative and a workforce intermediary organization, but we'll get into that a little bit later, I'm Sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, tell me a little bit more about yourself. How did you come to get to this job or this role at Atlanta Career Right?
1: Oh, good lord! I'm a I'm an old school workforce development person. You know, I did I don't hearken back to um, JTPA and the CETA program and what some of our friends in the in the business uh, have had experience as. But back in 2000, when uh, WIA came about, I left the child welfare system. So I I still call myself a recovering social worker. Um, but began my tenure in workforce development in 2000 with WIA and created at that time, you know, that's when the, the stipulation came about that you could become an independent workforce area if your, your jurisdiction had half a million people or more and you petition the state. And we did that up in Cobb County, which is in the northwest um, quadrant of Metro Atlanta and we became an independent workforce area. And then I was a local area director there for 20 years until um, a couple of years ago, I got a wild idea. I wanted to do a career change and and went into the more philanthropic nonprofit sector of of funder collaboratives and workforce intermediary organizations.
0: Wow. Um, I mean, I I know you personally, and I didn't even know, I did not know that you had been in the field for 20 years. So Folks, you can't see John. He looks incredibly young, so you would never know that he (laughs) had been here for that long. Um, But but in addition to that, I'm sure you've seen lots of things um, over the years, but I would love to understand how the system, workforce system in the metro Atlanta area is structured. And I think, yeah. again, for folks who are unfamiliar with Atlanta, it's not just the city of Atlanta. When you think about Atlanta, it really is the this five-county <laughs> metro region. Do you mind sort of walking folks through as simply as you can in terms of the structure?
1: Yeah, I'll try to make it as simple as I can, as simple as, as workforce can be, right? Our, our systems across the country. But um, yeah, so let me go back to what I said earlier when Cobb, my, my former workforce area, became a workforce area. That's when WIA came about. And at that point in time, Georgia, so let me start with the state. Georgia had, you know, through different processes, 20 workforce areas. And since that time, we've reduced to a whopping 19 workforce areas across the entire state. So they range considerably like many states do from urban workforce areas that have high population densities in the metropolitan region to rural areas that may have, you know, 13 counties and a population of 150,000, you know, so it's that that type of breadth of, of structure and composition across our workforce boards. I think what's most interesting about Georgia, though, is the fact that our Metro Atlanta region has five workforce boards. So in the 10 county um, core of Metro Atlanta, we have five different jurisdictions. Let me go through them real quick for people that may be familiar Uh, We have Cobb County, where I came from, population around 800, 900,000 now. Uh, DeKalb County, which is a similar population, it's also a single-county workforce area. We have Fulton County, outside of the city of Atlanta, and then we have Atlanta Regional Commission, which is seven of the other surrounding counties. And then what many people, as you alluded to, um, when we say Atlanta workforce, they think Atlanta Workforce Development Agency, which in actuality is just the very core city of Atlanta, population around 600,000 now. So, um, those, when we say Atlanta, we actually talk about the region of 10, of ten counties being Metro Atlanta. Um, and in fact, uh, and we'll talk about this some more as we talk about some of the progress we've made working together, we've adopted a different name for that collective geography of the 10 county workforce area we call ourselves work source metro atlanta now to, to when we're talking about all five of ourselves together
0: Yeah, you know, again just for our new york folks um in some ways the way you're describing it, it would be similar to if we took the large new york city region um which is the five counties of new york city with our two long island workforce boards um and likely oyster bay as well yonkers and probably um Westchester, Putnam, like Mm -hmm. that would likely be like the same sort of geographic space, but also in thinking about the kinds of partnerships and relationships that would have to be built. And so, again, for coming from the New York City workforce system, it's crazy to me to imagine trying to do what you do in a city with similar politics to the way that New York City works (laughs) in terms of city versus state um, and trying to have that coordinate. Um, And so, you know, again, I'm interested to understand who who else are the major players that you're trying to organize and coordinate across yeah. this work source Metro Atlanta group that you guys are sort of pulling together as a collaborative.
1: Yeah. So let me give you a little bit more background. So as I introduce some terms, I'll make more sense. So um, after being popped around from the governor's office to the uh, State Department of Economic Development to an independent organization, and finally at TCST, we owe a sense under our technical college system of Georgia, which is likened to a community college system in many other states. And so, we have the Office of Workforce Development within TCSG, Technical College System of Georgia, and we have adopted the name Worksource Georgia. So, like you have um, different names for state uh, 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 workforce systems, we are we are like Florida has Career Source, we're Worksource Georgia. Um, And so we have a separate name for each of those five workforce boards. Again, I said, collectively, we refer to each other as WorkSource Metro Atlanta. And so that encompasses all five geographies and there are, they remain autonomous. Each of them have their own workforce boards, right. um, By statute and have their own decision-making. They're either affiliated with our city or county governments or as part of the regional development commission. But what we decided to do is to start working together where it makes the most sense. And so while we each have their own service delivery systems, for example, we all have a common website now that we go through. So if you want to direct someone who lives in Clayton County, which is at below Hartsfield Jackson Airport, which many of your listeners have been at least through, um, they have the same experience as someone in Cherokee County, which is up, you know, going toward the North Georgia mountains. Um, and that's atlworks.com. Um, dot org, and I invite everyone to to look at that. And if you have the capacity to send that as a note, that'd be great to do too. Because what that um, what that has done is really standardize the process. And we, as Career and, and we'll talk a little bit more about the relationship that Career Rise now has with the workforce boards. We were able to work with our five workforce boards through a grant we received from the National Fund, which again is the the national organization with which Career Rise affiliates to standardize processes, and we used the human-centered design process to say, what does it look like for this poor person who thinks they want to do WIOA-funded training um, to access a system? And what we learned is it's really, really, really difficult, right? And we all know that, and there's so many hurdles and hoops, but that was just compounded by the fact that we had these five different geographies. And an interesting fact, and this is not unlike uh, the New York region and particularly the areas that you listed specifically, we know that any person that lives in one county, one of those 10 counties across the metro Atlanta area, 68% of people go to another county to work. So the majority of people don't even work in their own county. And here we have these workforce systems that are set up by county geographies and city geographies, right? So we know from the individual's perspective, that doesn't make sense. And then from the business services perspective, which we can get into uh, too, Melinda, that absolutely doesn't make sense. So how can we, because everybody wants their own workforce area, right? And, and there's some good reasons for that. Don't don't think I'm like completely against um it localized workforce areas because I think there's some great benefits to those local relationships that you can build and resources that you can leverage. But um it doesn't make sense for someone to have a different set of policies or a different application or like they get confused and they go to the wrong office and then they get redirected and have to fill out another 15-page application to get into the system. So what we uh, did was standardize the application. We have standardized processes. We have a standardized orientation. So once they make the initial contact with the local workforce area, they're sent to the ATL Works website. And I'll tell you, the pandemic actually kind of was an impetus for this happening. COVID really pushed us to create a virtual resource for people to go to and to hear the same information. So we use this whole process of human-centered design and we were also doing it in the context of racial equity because the Metro Atlanta region, as many people know, has the lowest economic mobility ratio or or rating um, of, of the 25 top largest Metro regions across the country. So we know that in the mid-Atlanta region, it's more difficult for only 4% of people that began in the bottom quintile end up in the top quintile uh, from an economic mobility perspective. So we see, and particularly a career rise, and this is what we're trying to promulgate with all of our public workforce partners, as well as our community-based organization partners, is that access is key to opportunity. If people, if it's too difficult to access, doesn't matter how great the opportunity is, people are not going to be able to take advantage of it. And when I say people, I'm speaking specifically about that bottom quintile set that we're trying to get into better opportunities and to to start building a path toward economic mobility. And we can dive into that a little bit more, too, if you'd like.
0: I so appreciate you saying that. I know we've had conversations over the years, um, you know, about you know a mom who has to catch a bus with her three kids in Please. tow to go, you know, qualify for for welfare benefits. But, may have not brought the right form of ID because there's nowhere on the website that says what you need to bring with you yeah. and then has to go back home. And will that person ever be able to make it back with yeah. the recognition of like the hoops and the challenges that people have in terms of even walking through the door? Um, I wouldn't so want to. Would you? I mean, nobody wants no, to. No, I like wouldn't. Absolutely I not. Would, yeah, yeah. Absolutely not. And, and especially too, when you like compound it with the fact that like, if you're if you're paying for childcare, if you're having to pay for this transportation and you don't have the resources to do it, Again, at the hurdles that we 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 call them in, in uh our office sort of these man-made or woman-made barriers, um, or sort of like these proof points for trying to have poor people prove that they really want to do these programs. Um, when in reality that there's these these other challenges that are totally out of their sort of out of what, what they have the realm of control, right? Um, yeah. but that leads me to the role of Atlanta Career Eyes in all of this, right? So you sure. have these. So you have this Metro WorkSource Metro Atlanta, the workforce boards who are working and collaborating under some of the national fund work. Um, Was Atlanta career rise sort of the the intermediary that brings these groups together and sort of coordinates these groups?
1: Yeah, it's become, and it's an evolving relationship we have with them. And I think a lot of it has to do, um, I I just see and our current board of directors just sees the value of making sure that we capitalize on the, the consistency and the durability of the public workforce system. You know, I came from having formula grant funds as a work, local workforce board director to having to like raise the money, you know, through our philanthropic partners and through contracts and service agreements um, in this new role. Um, but what that formula, those formula dollars, you know, they have all the hoops you have to jump through and all the we owe eligibility and all the stuff that goes along with that, but they're there and they're consistent and they create a framework and they create these local boards that we really do need to figure out how to best capitalize on for the greater system. The intent of the statute, but, you know, it's only a few places where that's really, if we're honest with ourselves, that's really uh, come to fruition. So I think our current board of CareerRise is really committed to that. And because I came from that world and kind of speak the language, it's put me in a position where I've been able to to, to help and, and move that vision and that mission along. So as I said earlier, Career Rise at our heart. It's a funder collaborative, and that's how it was created. And for those who may not be familiar with what that is, we really talk to philanthropic organizations, whether they be corporate foundations or family foundations, and basically anybody who wants to give money to help workforce development efforts. And then we create a pool, typically on an annual basis, create this pool. And we issue an RFP just the way that our local boards do and from a procurement standpoint. And typically, though, we prioritize whatever thing it is that our board and our funder collaborative has prioritized. So, for example, the past year we really focused in on racial equity to the point where we were trying to get beyond just talking the talk and saying, "Oh, yeah, we're all about racial equity." And what people are, you know, has become a very popular catchphrase, and you know, we practice REI. We have our we have our REI statement, whatever. Really working, and we had a fantastic third-party contractor, um, Community Build Ventures, who worked with our grantees. And actually, we we created a, a curriculum, a module that is, it is REI in a workforce development context. So really thinking about some of the you know, dis, disparities in how the workforce development system was created and the reasons that it was created and the placating that it was initially intended to do and some of those elements of it um, and helped our workforce development practitioners understand the foundations of of institutional racism and how our system is set up in many ways to perpetuate those things. And then moving on from there, getting that understanding, really working with organizations and coaching them to come up with their own REI goals around the grant that we provided, right? Whether it be that we're gonna do targeted outreach, whether we're going to Um, uh, have REI conversations with our participants and help them negotiate the systems around racial discrimination and equity. Um, So, and and each of the organizations came with a goal. The other thing that we were looking at that we made a priority for last year's grant cycle was career pathways. And that's another soapbox that we can jump on. Um, The fact that our system for so long has been set up as a one and done proposition, where, you know, we train people and you get them through the system and uh hopefully they graduate, they get the credential, and that's a win for us and they get placed, and that's a real big win. And then, you know, we track them for community-based organizations many oftentimes don't have the benefit of UI access. So they, you know, call and track them down for 30 days, 60 days, nine days a year if they're very lucky. And that's a success. If you can do that, that's a great success. What it doesn't really speak to is economic mobility. And I think economic mobility and career pathways are inextricably linked and have to go hand in hand. And that's really a paradigm shift that our system has to ultimately take into account. That we can't set up policies. You know, I know local work, I had this policy, I'm embarrassed to say. If you if you come to Cobb Works back when I was a director early on before I really understood the bigger picture, you can't come back for two years. You can't come back and get more WIOA training, you know? The fact is, don't we want people to come you know, shouldn't we want people to come back? Um, and that's really the paradigm shift that careerize through our funder collaborative and through our work as an intermediary organization really trying to link resources. And the fact is it's too much for any one workforce board. it's too much for any one community-based organization. But part of careerize's role as a workforce intermediary and kind of a gatekeeper and the the, the, um, the traffic controller and referee sometimes uh, and convener, is to say, you do this and you do this and you do this, and let's put together and weave together a continuum of workforce services. So if you come in as a as a high school dropout and puts, as an out-of-school youth under WIOA, and you go through this program, this sort of pre-apprenticeship or this work experience through the summer, what's next? And then let's say that's gonna be an apprenticeship, right? And what's next? And, you, and maybe you do a pre-apprenticeship or a pre-apprenticeship or a work experience or, A a short-term training program with a construction training program. You know, the next step, do you want to do HVAC? Do you want to do plumbing? But, you know, and this is common sense for people that are in workforce development, I think, but it's not a common practice. It's common sense, but it hasn't been adopted as a common practice because it's difficult and it requires somebody having the conversation about doing it that's not necessarily doing the training. Right, because Well, and I
0: think you sort of touched on this too, but it's also because of the way the system is structured, often you're only thinking within the bounds of your yeah. local workforce area. So if you were, when I was in New York City and it was during the economic downturn of 06, 07, 08, one of the challenges we had is a lot of the people lived in New Jersey who were coming to New York City to work. Now suddenly we're laid off. Like, do we work with them to get relocated right and so it really is taking in some ways under WIOA the regional approach um, and really in many ways solidifying it and maximizing the resources so again if you live in DeKalb or if you live in Cobb it doesn't matter mm. um, you could work in Fulton <laughs> right yeah, how do we right. make sure you you have a career pathway through the range of resources um, in metro Atlanta which I think again is so cool Uh, Which leads me to something that I think is one of the most impressive uh, versions of of industry partnerships that I've seen across the country um, is the Metro Atlanta Industry Partnerships. Um, And the way that you've laid it out is amazing. And I will make sure we include the links into the um, to the maps uh, and the links to this podcast. But I'm wondering if you could sort of talk through the evolution of that employer engagement work. Um, yeah, but also sure. where you're at with it, um, because, it, again, it's it's so easy to read and review and walk through. And that's not something that most people are able to do. So congratulations on that just alone.
1: Well, let me underscore that for if you're hearing what Melinda's having to say about making the providing the link, go to the link, because this is definitely where a picture is worth a thousand words. And I have to credit one of our former staff. She's since retired um, with us at Career rise, but Dr. Helen Slavin. And she is the one who put together this really elegant diagram. And I'll tell you the process we went through and we we were thinking about industry partnership and we began like many uh, collaboratives do and workforce boards, we started healthcare and we started a SOL program. You know, we had the, the nursing, the CNA to, to LPN to REM progression, this, you know, a common thing. And then we got into REM um, uh, to BSN and those types of things. So pretty much a national progression. But then we started thinking about, okay, this is, we, we don't get scale with that. And we certainly are dealing just within a singular sector at that point. So we had the opportunity through some state set-aside plans with WIOA, and the state um, began this. And then TCSG, I give them credit for continuing the support of the, the workforce areas doing this kind of innovative work outside of formula dollars um, to create industry partnership networks across regions, right? And so we call ours Metro Atlanta Industry Partnership, and it covers that same geography that's consistent with our five workforce boards, but we serve as kind of the coordinator for the industry partnership work. And so when you go to the gut diagram and look and see, you'll see that we thought about everything that the workforce system does for industry, for businesses, right? And we have five different, what we call service lines. So there are five service lines that we believe we can plug anything, any activity that a workforce board or a, uh, a business services uh, entity is trying to do for industry. It fits somewhere on that board. And then there are representative activities listed under those service lines that, of what they constitute. So let's take, for example, the first thing, and we think about kind of the varying degrees of intensity of intervention with employers, hiring, screening, retention, Right. And so that's one service line. Then, you know, training and youth apprenticeship is in the progression as another service line. We even have job quality as a service line. And then for our K-12 partners, we have career awareness and preparation, you know, that really covers all those things that happen within that domain. So, again, take a look at it. And and it's a really cool way to think about and organize the work. And what we've done is use the data to, to indicate what are our high growth sectors. And we have, not unlike a lot of areas across the country. Healthcare, information technology, TDL. So, if you're not familiar with that, it's transportation, distribution, logistics, and then skilled trades and advanced manufacturing. Those. So, those are our five target sectors. And then, what we do is apply those service lines to each of those sectors. And as we're working with a company, we use that service line structure to help guide our conversations about what we're doing with someone, whether it be that we as Career Rise are sponsoring. A, uh, a big, huge regional job fair, or what we have learned um, post COVID is more effective as a sub-region job fair, and using you know platforms and hybrid uh, 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 strategies to do to do recruitment, retention assistance for companies. To one thing that we did in response to COVID, which is our Career Compass Academy, which falls into that career awareness. And what we were able to do is to create an option uh, that first year when local boards weren't able to do. Uh, youth work experience during the summer like their models typically called for. So we created a virtual option for them that they could all feed into instead of everybody developing their own thing um, across the region. So it's just a really cool way to approach industry partnerships in an organized way where you're not, you know, so much, so many times in industry partnerships, the tail begins to wag the dog because you have a company that's really gung-ho about this one thing and that's awesome and it's great that we can put together Um, the onesies of of great programs. But if we're going to get scale, I think you have to create some type of structure and framework within which you're able to operate and then work from there.
0: That's great. And then how do employers, how do employers find out about this? Like who is the mouthpiece? Is it rise or does each of the partners play a role of promoting um, this industry partnership model?
1: Yeah, so what we're trying to do is to be the go-to and, and really position ourselves in the workforce development ecosystem as being such. Um, so if it has to do with employer engagement activity with our local workforce boards, then it's reciprocal. If we get the contact first at Career Rise from a company that wants to do something, we think through what workforce board, and it, oftentimes because of the way companies are structured across our region, it's multiple workforce boards, we let them know. Um, and vice versa. If if it comes from a workforce board, and let's say it's a company that wants to do apprenticeship, apprenticeship is one of our service lines. And so how do we help support? We're not taking it over, and that's really an important consideration and an important part of the design. It's not that they're just handing it off, unless in some instances they want to, uh, because it makes so much sense for capacity or whatever reason. But what we're trying to do is to coordinate and make sure that Everything that can be done to be supportive for that board's relationship with that company that we're we're putting into place, for example, or if it's an opportunity for another workforce board to get involved because there's a multi-unit company that's spread across the region in multiple um, workforce areas, and we help be the conduit to make those connections. And as we know, especially lately with staffing issues and shortages and attrition and turnover, um, it's... It, People are appreciative. Our workforce boards, I think, are appreciative of the opportunity to have somebody else to, hey, can you help me with this? Can you help foster this conversation or whatnot? So that's, that's one area. The other thing is that we try to work very hard with and be involved with in a, a supportive way other workforce collaboratives and organizations so that it, ha- it has something to do with employer engagement and industry partnerships that they think, oh, well, CareerRise is probably, they just, hopefully we're getting to the point where they assume that we've got some type of structure ready to go to help assist, and they yeah. don't have to recreate it. I'll tell you an example of that MAX, Metro Atlanta Exchange for Workforce Solutions. That's an organization that I think I haven't heard of many other areas across the country that have something quite like this. And the easiest explanation that I can provide for what MAX is it's like the Chamber of Commerce for Workforce Development Professionals. So it's that place that you go to and have the lunch and learns and have the uh, networking opportunities, and with the chamber, you're doing B2B um, uh, planning and strategizing. We use Max in that same format. It was very easy, particularly when the pandemic came about, that Max would pick up this employer engagement piece. And we're like, no, nope, wait, stop. Let's talk about what makes most sense for us to define what the, the, the core mission and value of your organization is Compared to what our core vision, vision, and mission and value is to the ecosystem. We knew that we had this grant from our five workforce boards to the state set aside to do industry partnerships. So it doesn't make a lot of sense for anybody else to be like trying to do that, right? What Hopefully. does make sense, Career Rise doesn't need to be doing large-scale professional development. We need for for workforce professionals, right? We need to defer to max. To be that as much as we would like to do you know the business services certification for everybody in the workforce er- arena that's talking to a business let's let that go through max and then having that reciprocity in mission and function that you really are having honest and sometimes difficult conversations about you know stay in your lane or we're going to stay in our lane this we won't see this happen but this is in our lane let's you do it and you know, to the point that we at Career max for particular functions or to do particular programming, or we developed We, we being careerized um, during the pandemic, have, have um, developed a trauma-informed care model for workforce development that we were testing with our grantees, that group that we fund on an annual basis, and, but then we rolled it out to our local workforce board staff, and then we said, well, this would be really cool for the entire system to have, and so we ter- gave it to max. Here you go let's create the series of, of opportunities for people to attend these workshops and learn about trauma-informed or healing-informed care um, in the workforce development context.
0: I, that, this is so helpful because I think one of the things that scares people away from these kinds of collaborations is the personality challenges and, you know, all the, the difficulty that comes with managing partnerships. Um, and in some ways, as you're describing what Rice does and what I've seen you do in action. It is truly like this managing of multiple partnerships and relationships um, who are all in many ways working to achieve the exact same thing, but with different different strategies and different angles, right? Yeah. Um, so just before we sort of wrap up, what are some of the things that you've learned? At least, what are things that have to be in place to make a collaboration like this work um, in order for you, you know, again, for listeners wanting to think about pursuing this, especially post-pandemic, What needs to be in place to be able to make this successful?
1: I'm going to start with the response to that with what you just said, and that is relationships and really not undervaluing the time and the care that um, building relationships with the colleagues that are leaders of other organizations really takes because so much of this is about trust. There are those people that I know everybody that's listening to us. There are those people that if they call you and say, "Hey, my God, I've got a grant deadline. I need a letter of support by five o'clock today. Can you? Can I send this to you and you sign it? And you'll do it in a minute, right?" And then there are those people that if they send you that letter, you are like, oh, "I don't know. I mean, I am going to need a. I am going to need to read the grant before it goes in before I attach myself." We want to fall in that first category, right? We all want to create systems and networks of people that we work with most closely that we can call on each other. And uh, have that level of trust so you know if they're if they're assigning your name or your organization to it that they are they're looking out for your best interest and hopefully usually it's a resource development opportunity for you as well. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I think we need to um, we nobody goes to school for like a bachelor degree in workforce development, right? We really need to up our game in the sector in the workforce development sector for developing professionally and creating opportunities, really tangible, meaningful opportunities. I've never been in a sector, experienced a sector more than workforce development that has as many conferences as we have or opportunities for conferences to go to here or that or the other. The problem is oftentimes that the quality of those is is failing or redundant or uh, doesn't quite deliver. And so we work very hard and and I'll mention the organization that I'm affiliated with now, the Southeastern Employment Training Association or SETA, which is uh, the training association of the seven Southeastern states that's aligned with USTOL region three to create opportunities, particularly for frontline training. Because I think that's something that we we falter in too, is uh, giving opportunities for our frontline staff, our practitioners, the people that are putting the programming together, to, to actually do the work and to have the skill level to do the work i would ask you know we we have placed value as a society in the business world on project management and project management certification how many workforce boards pay for you know that's your go-to certification after you know truck driving and some kind of allied healthcare certification people want to do that how many people within our organizations have we paid for to do project management certification and then what do we do? on an ongoing recurring basis as workforce development agencies. We manage projects. We work with companies to get things off the ground. We create new stuff once we have funding to do it. So, you know, that's something we're looking at, at even inter- internally at careerize is getting a cohort of project management training put together um, to help us do better and be more professional and to be able to, to execute on what we're saying we're doing in a, a way that is appreciated, particularly by the business sector and industry sectors, um, as we continue to work with them, and I really think the focus of the work changing to that.
0: I appreciate that um, so much, um, and of course, you're not speaking of NIATEP because you know our conferences are the place to be. <laughs> um, but also, I think. So you no, know, I hear. I haven't of, been. I want to come. So you abso- to come. You're, It's an open yeah. invitation. Um, I will cover the cost of your attendance myself. Um, but again, it goes back to this. Um, I think we really believe. In the things that you're describing, like everybody who is on the front line should have a chance to have the tools that they need to be successful, um, and we should be able to do it at an incredibly low cost um, and do it with like you know the best possible training that's available on the market, um, not something that necessarily the state would require you to to go through. Exactly. Right, and so I right. think again, this concept of market driven training, same thing works for us, and I think the more that we see our our field as a sector. Um, the better, Um, but also the more opportunities we have to like network people together, the better, because just like um, some of the the REI work you're doing, I think in our own sector, we also have to pay attention to race equity and inclusion and how we're making sure people of color are moving up the career ladder, just like they would be doing so in say healthcare or in IT. All right. So to wrap this up, John, what's next for Career Eyes?
1: Oh, yeah. So we have been affiliated. We we were formed um, 11 years ago. Um, and we operate in, under the auspices of United Way of Greater Atlanta currently. We're actually by design and you know, by mutual agreement and a wonderful relationship with United Way uh, spinning out. So later this year, we'll be, become an independent entity into ourselves. And really, that's going to help streamline our messaging and from a resource development perspective, as well as programming and what it is that we serve, that what we do for the workforce ecosystem in the region. Um, and one thing in particular is that we want to test some of these concepts that we've been talking about. And so we have an opportunity um, to, to become the managing partner for a community-based training collaborative on the west side of Atlanta called West Side Works. And so we're working on that. We're finished with the planning. We have, have obtained the resources for a very generous grant from the Arthur Blake Foundation, which is you know huge in Atlanta and has done so much good for the Atlanta region and beyond, you know, they're across the country in their investments, but um, they have made a commitment to the West side and we are trying to help them fulfill that commitment by making sure that we have a network of training providers and opportunities that that the opportunities are easily accessible to the community members there, but also to people across the region. And then looking at things like how do we stagger um, opportunities to create career pathways and how do we use you know expanded supportive services to help people get through training you know including testing stipends and other opportunities so you know that's something to be on the lookout for we're we're still trying to figure out how to how to pay for it now to get it done and how it's all going to be delivered and the, thank you for your help in that melinda um particularly because that's how we came to meet each other um but yeah that's that's what's next and big um and then how do we the other big really big thing that we're working on at career rise is um youth apprenticeship and helping develop. A scalable system in the metro Atlanta region for youth apprenticeship. Um, again, going moving from those great little onesie programs where you've got two, two apprentices here and three here to creating these sector-based geographically um, targeted apprenticeship opportunities that really can be scaled and create lots of work-based learning opportunity for young people most in need.
0: Well, it sounds like Atlanta will continue to be a fertile ground for you guys to test all of these uh, things yeah. that you've been working on for the last 11 years. And so I'm certainly going to stay in close touch with you all. Um, and, I'm, you know, I miss my trips down to Atlanta to work with the West Side Works crew. Um, but hopefully um, in the near future, post-COVID, I can come back and maybe we could talk about youth apprenticeship instead, because that's um, also something we're going to be working on here in New York. But, John, thank awesome. you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you.
1: Thank you. Always, Melinda.
0: All right. Did you like what you listened to? You can download previous episodes at our website, niatep.org or on Apple or Spotify.